week. Well, we're in a series called Resolve, and what we did, if you were here when we first started this, is I had you write post-it notes that said, I resolve. Then we put them up on, on these boards that spelled 2017 and said, for this next year, no matter what we might have resolved to do, no matter what our other resolutions are, if we're going to do one thing well, if we're going to do one thing, put our focus on one thing, it's going to be to resolve to follow God. And I know that's a very general statement and easier said than done. That's why last week we said, if we're going to resolve to follow God, we have to also resolve to do it with people, to have community. We're not meant to follow God and to try to do this thing called life on our own. And so we said, resolve to circle up. Have a group of people around you that can speak truth into your life, that can help guide you, give you some wisdom, help you resolve to follow God, but not on your own. So circle up, resolve to circle up. What we're going to look at this morning makes a makes following God perhaps some of the most difficult resolutions or the most difficult thing to resolve. And it's really with what we talked about last week. It's if we're going to resolve to follow God and to circle up being around other people, if you're not aware of this, people are mean. Just mean. And sometimes they mean to be mean. Sometimes they don't mean to be mean. But oftentimes people are just mean. And what happens is throughout our life, I mean, young all the way up and into our future, we get marked by people. When I say marked by people, I mean they leave their mark on us. And for some people, it's great, man. They are, they've impacted our life. They've influenced our life. They're a mentor in our life. They're all the great things that you would say, the marks that they've left on us. But there are plenty of other people, intentionally or unintentionally, that have left their mark on us as well by the things that they've done. They've said things, they've, they've done things, they've betrayed us, they've lied to us, they've gone behind our back, they've abused us, they have hurt us. I mean, you name it. In a room this size, I mean, the marks are, are heavy. And it's difficult to, to look at yourself and not see these. And try as we may, every time when we look in the mirror, we see us. But what we really begin to see is what we have done to other people and what other people have done to us. We can't get that out of our, our head. I mean, that whole forgive and forget doesn't work. Never works. Because those marks have been there. So my question for us is, how do we continue to resolve to follow God when all we see is what people have done to us? And here's, here's the difficult part I have as your pastor, is this is not the message I would ever want to preach. <laughs> because like you, we all have different hurts. Some of us, we would say, man, those hurts are, are beyond anything I can imagine. And for you sitting out there, I have no doubt that there are some of your hurts. People have offended you, sinned against you, abused you in a way that would just horrify us. And the last thing that I ever want to do is stand up here and just say, well, you know, that's life. Figure it out. Love God. He loves you. You, got, you need to forgive them. I know the right answers. Do you, I mean, you know the right answer here? The right answer is sure, forgive them. But we have a hard time with that because we look at all that people have done and, and we start to say, why? Why in the world would I possibly begin to forgive somebody for what they've done to me, for what they've done to my family, for the impact that they left? And it's not a good impact. The devastation that I've dealt with because of their actions against me, there's no way. So what I hope we can walk through is even though we know the right answer, Yes, if we're going to resolve to follow God, we have to do it with other people, but we also have to figure out a way to deal with all of this. We've got to resolve to, to forgive, but at the same time, it's not just that easy. 
And so please hear my heart on this. And nothing that I, I show you out of scripture this morning may like surprise you because we know the answer, most of us. And I know it, it's, it's a difficult ask, but what I do know, and I do believe this with all my heart, is that not forgiving damages our resolutions to follow God. If we refuse to forgive, then following God is, I'm not gonna say impossible, but it makes an extremely rocky, difficult road in the process. So we're kind of almost in this lose-lose, we feel like. Okay, well, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but that seems out of the question. And what if I do forgive? What does that really mean? So using God's word, I want us to see an, an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples as they wrestle with that very same question. Very same question. If you have your Bibles, head to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. And uh, know that Jesus is about two years into his ministry. He's been with his disciples about two years. And, and those disciples have seen Jesus do anything and everything. He's, they've heard him teach and preach and heal and, and raise the dead. They've seen him do all sorts of things. And throughout all those teachings, forgiveness is a big part of that. Even at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he's teaching them how to pray and you get the Sermon on the Mount. And even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have to forgive because the Lord forgave you. So even the disciples know the right answer. They know they're supposed to forgive. We know we should forgive. It's part of his teaching. Two years later, Jesus is digging in a little bit deeper. And he's actually talking about this very issue specifically to his disciples. First part of Matthew 18, he's saying, here's how to walk through how, here's how to walk through life when someone sins against you. When somebody begins to, to hurt you in any way, if they sin against you and that's all you can see, he starts to walk them through the process of dealing with that. So Jesus does all that. He walks them through. Here's how to walk through when somebody sins against you. And then Peter, he asks a very important question that we all ask. Matthew 18, here's where we'll pick up the story. Verse 21. Then Peter came to him, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, that's quite a bit. Somebody sins against me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nope. <laughs> but I, I get where Peter's coming from because we all do this. We, we wanna have a line, we wanna have a limit. Surely Jesus, enough's enough. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. We all understand the importance of forgiveness, but seven times is plenty, Jesus. I don't wanna keep getting hurt. He says, seven times, shouldn't that be enough? Jesus replies in verse 22, no, not seven times. Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Basically, Jesus is saying, you don't stop. He's given an exaggerated number to, to Peter's question. And that's kind of a deer in the headlights look, I'm sure that the disciples gave Jesus. So Jesus, what you're telling me is, is all the hurt, all the pain, all the offenses, all the sins that people have, have committed against me, there's... There's not a limit to this. Like they can keep hurting me and I keep forgiving them. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And in our minds, that does not make sense. There's gotta be a line. There's gotta be a limit. Enough's enough at some point because you do exactly what I do. When you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, like it or not, you see what people have done to you. Like I said, you don't forget those. They stay with you every day of your life. We try to forget some of them and maybe few of the, the smaller offenses we move past, but we all have marks that we will never, ever forget and we are reminded of them daily. And so Peter's saying, when do I no longer have to forgive them for what they've done, for, for the sins that they've committed against me? 
Now, let me make a couple of things clear here because that's what Jesus has to do with Peter. Let's, let's clear things up. Let's be on the same page. First is what does it mean to forgive? Forgive, please hear me, does not mean forget. Forgive does not, does not at all mean forget. Sometimes, and I would say oftentimes, we, we marry the ideas of forgiveness with reconciliation, with restoration, with reuniting, with rebuilding trust. Understand, those are two very, very separate things. You can forgive and still not trust. I have plenty of people that have done things against me, and it has taken 33 years of my life, it feels like. feels like a lifetime to say, okay, I can forgive, but I'm telling you, I'm not going to talk with them again. Why? Because, well, I can forgive, but not necessarily even be reconciled. I can forgive, and that doesn't mean we go back to buddy-buddies the way things used to be. No, not necessarily. Now, should reconciliation be at the heart? Absolutely. But there are plenty, and you know these, there are plenty of these people, and there are plenty of these hurts and these, these offenses that reconciliation and restoration is not possible. It's not even healthy. Now, do we immediately jump to that? Like I said, no. But you got you to gotta unmarry those two ideas of, okay, can I forgive and not have things go back the way that they were? An author that writes a lot on forgiveness, his name's Lewis, he says this, says it takes one person to forgive, it takes two people to be reunited. It takes one person to forgive, it takes two to be reunited. In other words, forgiveness is something I have to do, me. When I stare at this every single day, I've got to be the one that owns forgiveness. That doesn't mean that the two of us ever get reconciled or reunited. Sure, that would be the hope, but that's not always the case. Because at its, at its base, forgive means to let go. Doesn't mean to erase, it means to let go. Literally, it would mean to release or leave alone. So here, Jesus is saying, no, you, you can always forgive. Doesn't mean you always have to reconcile. Here, here's a great example. This will kind of help you understand how these are very, very different. I usually hang out in the lobby, and I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you, and so that's why I love being in the lobby, and I'll say, you'll hear me say it later today, hey, make sure to come and say, hey, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to be introduced to you, and let's just say you and I don't know each other very well, and so you decided, okay, I'm going to finally take Brian up on his offer. I'm going to go up and introduce myself to him, and so you make your way out in the lobby after church, and, and you introduce yourself, and I say, so nice to meet you. Wham! And I just deck you right in the nose. I mean, just, I don't even give you a heads up, man. It's just, I shake your hand and then just pop you right in the face. Let me ask you a couple questions, putting yourself in that situation. First of all, do you think we could still be friends? <laughs> do, you think you, do you think we could still be friends? No. Do you think you will come back to church next week here? Probably not. If you did, I, man, you're a better person than I am. <laughs> no, there's no way. Now, could you eventually find it in yourself to forgive me? I should hope so. And that's what we're going to walk through. But, but you don't forget that. You will forever tell the story of going to church and getting hit by the pastor. You will never forget that, ever. And the mark that I would have made on you would be so impactful that you'd take that around the rest of your life. And it would maybe one day become a funny story, but it would take a little bit. <laughs> you don't forget that. It stays with you. Forgiveness and restoration are two very, very separate things. Yes, forgiveness can lead, and in many cases should lead to that, but not necessarily. Are we on the same page? Not if you're on the same page with me. And the reason that is important, please hear me, there are hurts in your life and hurts in my life where restoration and reconciliation should not happen. Are we clear? This is when you do this again. All right. 
Okay, so that's the issue that Jesus and the disciples are having. Peter says, well, surely there's a, enough's enough. And Jesus says, no, there's not. Gets the deer in the headlights look. And so Jesus gives them a story. He gives them a parable to help them understand how to walk through this, how to begin a journey of forgiveness. And so he breaks up his parable into three scenes. Think of it like a play, right? There's three scenes. We're gonna see three, the characters throughout this, this parable. Scene one, here's how Jesus explains the parable. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, millions of dollars literally here is a lifetime of money. It's not just a million dollars. I mean, some people might be able to cut a check for a million dollars. I can't. It would be a lifetime of, of savings for me. That's what it would have been for this servant. It was an immeasurable amount of money says he couldn't pay in verse 25, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. Man did exactly what we, would have, what we would do. The man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with what? What's this word? Pity. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Scene one, you have a king and you have a servant. And this servant owned an enormous amount of money. And the king called him up, said, hey, it's time, to, it's time to pay. Make good on what I lent you for what you borrowed. Couldn't pay, so his life was gonna be truly over. He was gonna be sold. His family was gonna be sold. Everything that he owned was gonna be sold. He was about to lose everything because of this debt. And so he, he begged, said, be patient with me. And then that one word, the king had what? Pity. Now, this is a cool word. And if you've been around me long enough, you know I have a favorite Greek word, a biblical Greek word, and everybody needs a favorite Bible word. This one's mine. Here's why. That word, pity, originally is the word splagnitsoma. Cool word. You see why I like it now. Say it with me. Splagnitsoma. Yes. And what splagnitsoma literally means, I've shared this before, is inner bowels. You should have seen the 930 service when I said that. I mean, it was still a little early for him. That's what it means. And that word gives us an unfortunate picture of just how our stomach can churn, how we are moved on the inside. It's not just a, oh, I feel really bad for him. Sorry about your luck. It's not even an, an, an empathy. It's deeper. It's more moving than sympathy or even empathy. It is plagnizoma. It is this movement that takes place in us. It's when you see the pictures that we, we see from Samantha and her family of just like a bomb went off in their town and they lose everything. It's not just a, oh, that's too bad. It's a, oh man, it's just my stomach turns and churns and, and you almost feel sick to your stomach. You're moved to want to do something. That's what the king felt. And it's because of that, the splagnitsoma, that caused him to forgive his debt. That's scene one, scene one. Scene two, Verse 28, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. You go from millions and a lifetime of savings to now here's another servant that owed him just a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged, a little more to, begged for a little bit more time, just like he had begged earlier. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Scene two, that same servant that had just experienced forgiveness because of the king's, what's the word? No, what's the real word? 
Yeah, that's the better word. Good job. Because of that, he was forgiven. Now, scene two, that same servant that experienced that level, that tremendous forgiveness, scene two does not reciprocate it, does not give that kind of forgiveness back. Now, we would have to begin to ask ourselves why, and we may never know. Jesus doesn't go into the reasons, but I know why I don't forgive people. I know why I look at this and why I have in many, many times throughout my life, I have refused forgiveness. Sometimes, let's just call it what it is. Sometimes we're just mean to be mean. We don't wanna forgive. We wanna stay angry. We wanna stay mad. So we refuse it thinking it will hurt them. It's a get back at you tactic. Doesn't work. We'll get to that. But that's one reason we, we tend to use it. Sometimes we feel like it's the safe play. I don't want to extend forgiveness because I'm just cutting off all ties. I don't want to think about you. We kind of put up a wall. We don't want to think, say, or do anything about that person, including forgive them. And so we feel like that's the safe thing. We put up a wall. But I think what we tend to do and probably what was going on in this servant, even though it's just a story Jesus was telling, I don't think that servant truly recognized and was aware of the amount of forgiveness he experienced. I don't think it totally sunk in yet. I think, oh, that's great. Yeah, thanks for forgiving me. High five, king, and then went off to go do his own thing. I don't think he let it sink in to the depths of his soul what he was just rescued and saved from because of this king's forgiveness. Regardless of the reason, the servant in scene two does not show the kind of splagnitsuma, does not show the kind of forgiveness that the king showed him, which brings us to scene three. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Scene three didn't go so well for this servant, did it? No. Now, what's interesting to me, and Jesus didn't have to include this in the parable, it's interesting, the very first part of this third scene is when some of the other servants saw this. Some of the other servants saw what had taken place. They saw the king just forgive a tremendous amount of debt. And then they saw that same forgiven servant go to another servant and demand payback. In fact, imprisoned him until he could pay it all. They saw all of that and they couldn't believe it and they were very upset, Jesus said. Now remember, who is Jesus actually talking to? He's been having some deep discussions with who? His disciples. And I believe that Jesus put this little nugget in there for his disciples to remind them people are watching you. The disciples have been with Jesus for two years. People knew they were associated with Jesus. And that also means people were watching to see how they would react in different environments and different situations. If you're a believer, if you, if you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, people are watching and that's a good thing because they get to see Jesus in moments like this, but we've got to be careful because they're watching. And as we in our nature want to refuse forgiveness, people are around us watching. They watched and they were very upset. So then they went and told the king. Verse 35, Jesus sums everything up. He tells them the story and he says, so verse 35, that's what my father in heaven will do if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your what? Heart. From your heart. Jesus sums it up and says, man, this is why it's important to forgive. We have to be willing to recognize not just the forgiveness that we have been given, but the forgiveness that we give. So what's really the point here? It all goes back to remember Peter was saying, Jesus, man, 
A lot of people have done some pretty terrible things to me. How many times do I have to keep forgiving them? Because when I look in the mirror, all I see is the hurt and the pain and the sins and the offenses that they have brought upon me. When's enough enough, Jesus? And Jesus basically says, it's ne you never stop. And the reason why is simply because of what the king did for the servant. It's for what Jesus has done for us. If we're going to resolve to follow God, we have to be able to do it with people. We resolve to circle up. We said it last week. What I would say to you today, and, and I say this, understanding the overwhelming weight of difficulties, of abuses, of pains, and of hurts that are sitting in this room. I say this recognizing the, the immeasurable amount of sin that has been committed against you. Still, we must resolve to forgive as much as we have been forgiven. That's the whole point of what Jesus was saying in this parable. No matter what, what's been done to you, Jesus has already, the king has forgiven something greater. He has forgiven our tremendous amount of debt. And how do we respond? We forgive. Easier said than done though, right? Absolutely. Because we don't forget this. And it's not as simple as just, oh, okay, I forgive you and you try to move on. That doesn't work that way. So what I want us to do is just briefly, I want you to, with me, go back through the parable because Jesus is showing us how to actually walk through this because we can't just erase it. We can't just forget about it. At the end of this service, I'm gonna take this mirror and I've got some Windex. I'm gonna spray it all off and it's all gonna go away. It's very simple to clean off this mirror. Man, the, the hurts and the pains and the abuses that we've experienced, you cannot just do that to erase it. And that's not what Jesus is saying. But we've gotta figure out a way to deal with it, to deal with it with forgiveness. So what I want you to see, first of all, is go back to scene one. The result from the king forgiving gave this servant a life. He was gonna be sold. His, his family was gonna be sold. He was gonna just lose everything. But because the king forgave him, he got his life back. That's the future that he had. Now understand, it didn't take away what had happened in the past. It didn't, it didn't take away the fact that he borrowed this money. It didn't take away the past, but it changed the future. That's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness doesn't change the past, but forgiveness most definitely changes our future. So often we refuse to forgive because we, we don't want somebody to think, well, that's okay what you did to me. Of course not. Forgiveness never says, well, yeah, I condone what you did. Forgiveness doesn't say it's okay what you did. Forgiveness doesn't change the past. Forgiveness changes the future. You got to separate the two a little bit. We see that again later on in the story. When he refused to forgive, he had a very different outcome, a very different future, didn't he? He went from having life to then refusing, and then it led to what? In scene three, what happened to that servant that refused to forgive? Torture and thrown in prison. Very different futures that revolved around his willing and his lack of willingness to forgive. So here's a question for you. If you're gonna walk through this with me, because I'm, I'm walking through this like you're walking through this. There are things that I'm still working to forgive him. I'll confess, I'm not perfect at forgiving, just like none of us are perfect at forgiving. But here's something to write down for you that will help you walk through the journey that I have found through scripture to help me walk through the journey of forgiveness. It's to ask the question, what do you want for your future? What future do you want? Like I said, when you look in the mirror tomorrow and you notice and you remember and you're reminded of all the pains, hurts, and offensive people have made towards you, you have a choice to decide what kind of future you're gonna have with that. Am I gonna continue to have a future that is 
Kind of like scene three where you just feel tortured because hanging on to this, that is exactly what it feels like, isn't it? Man, you feel like you're in prison. You feel like you're constantly being just tortured by the memories of what has happened. The hurts and the pains, you just can't get away from it and it feels like you're just being tortured. You can't get past it. So I would encourage you to write down at some point, what kind of future do you want? Understand forgiveness will help you get to the future that you desire. If your future is, man, I, want, I resolve to follow God and I want to have that kind of a life, man, forgiveness will help you get there. And it most certainly will be a difficult road and it most certainly will take some time. Refusing to forgive will lead you right where that servant landed in that third scene. Not a life, but a life of torture. So what I would tell you is, remember, forgiveness doesn't change the past, doesn't condone the past, but it changes your future. So what kind of future do you want? Let forgiveness begin to pave the way for the future that you would desire. Forgive from your heart. Jesus sums everything up and he says, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, then he explains what's gonna happen. He says, forgive from your heart. And he doesn't say forgive from your mind, forgive from your hands, forgive from your mouth, because we all know those can lie, but heart, and heart in this case is not referring to like the touchy-feely emotional side of things. It's not oh, you need to want to forgive and you have to enjoy forgiving. You have to feel good when you forgive. That's not what heart means here. Heart is referring to who you are. At your core, who are you? So Jesus is saying, you've got to forgive from your heart because that's got to be part of your DNA. It's got to be part of your identity. It's got to be you. So ask yourself, who, who are you? Let me show you how this works. If you continue to hang on to these, right? We've all been there. We're, we're all still there in some regards then instead of me, me filling in the blank with who am I, it's like, I'm bitter because of what's happened. Guess what actions are gonna come out of that? Bitterness. If you say in your heart of hearts, I am just hurt, it's okay to be hurt, but to be in your heart of hearts, I'm hurt, guess what is gonna come out of that? Continued hurt. You say your heart of heart, man, I'm just broken and I can't rebuild, I can't get out of this brokenness, then guess what's gonna come out? Continued brokenness. But if you can get to a place where the servant should have been and say, I am forgiven. Man, the king forgave me a tremendous amount of debt. I am forgiven. In my heart of hearts, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I am forgiven. Guess what more easily comes out? Forgiveness. I don't say it was easy when it comes out. I said it comes more easily. So in your heart of hearts, you have to ask, who am I? Are you forgiven? Or are you still hurt? and bitter, and angry, and broken. All of those things are okay for a time, but at some point, you've got to recognize, I am forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me, Then I need to begin to forgive. So who are you at your heart? Do you notice uh, when Jesus was given this parable, there's a word that's missing that most of us would say, Jesus, you really should have included that word. It's a word that as a parent, and I, I'm, I make sure my kids hear and say over and over and over again. It's just part of culture. It's part of our society. But if you go through the parable, nowhere is this word uttered. Any guesses on what the word is? Sorry. Nowhere in this parable does the servant apologize. No, he begs for patience and promises to pay it off. But he never says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. Would you forgive me? That's what we teach our kids. You need to say, I'm sorry. Then you need to say, I forgive you. And then you need to hug. And it's the angry hug. <laughs> Nowhere is there sorry. Never. Here's why. Forgiveness is, by definition, given. 
forgiven. That means completely given. Forgiveness is given, not deserved. Not necessarily even required to be asked for. In Colossians, we see a very similar uh, verse that Paul says to the early church. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another as long as they say they're sorry and ask for it. No. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Every time somebody does something against you, against me, that hurts, and I know the levels of hurt are, are unbelievable at times. And if you're sitting around waiting for somebody to apologize and to own it and to own up to it and to ask for forgiveness, you're going to be like that servant in the third scene where you're just going to live a tortured life waiting for it because I'm telling you it's not going to happen. There are people in this world that are going to hurt you. People in this world have hurt you just like they have me. And if your forgiveness is based upon them coming to you and apologizing for it, it's just not going to happen and you're going to be holding on to it and you'll never be able to have that future that Jesus talks about, a future with an actual life versus a future of being tortured by the lack and the refusal of forgiveness. Forgiveness is given. Remember, it only takes one person. You don't have to have the other person come to you and apologize. You don't have to have the other person come and own up to it. You don't have to have the other person try to make amends. All you have to do, and I know it is unbelievably difficult of what I'm suggesting here through God's word, but we look at all this and we say, I don't need them to apologize. I don't need them to own it. I don't need them to know anything. But in my heart of hearts, I forgive them. Don't have to be around them. Don't have to talk to them. Don't have to see them again. But the future I want is a future of life, not a future of being tortured and having this hanging on to me. And I can't just erase it, so I've got to do something with it. That something with it is forgiveness. Forgiveness is given, not deserved, definitely not even necessarily even asked for. So here's a difficult thing for, for you and me to decide to do. We first have to say, okay, what kind of future do I want? Forgiveness will lead me towards that future over time. And of course, a difficult road. We have to ask at our heart of hearts, who am I? And if I can fill in the blank and say, I am forgiven, then I'm able to more easily begin to forgive. And here's the most difficult one. Decide to forgive before ever being asked. Decide to forgive before it ever even being, it needs to be needed. That before somebody actually does something, I know, and I'm telling you, it has taken me a long time to get there and I, I'm struggling with it at times. But I've made a decision to say, okay, Jesus, I, I hear you loud and clear. You're gonna have to really help me out because I can't do this on my own. But before somebody does anything against me, I've decided that at some point, yes, I will forgive them. So when it actually happens, I'm like, all right, I decided I'm gonna forgive them. And it only takes one to forgive. Decide to forgive before it's ever asked or before it's ever actually needed. Last thing I want you to pay attention to here, and it has everything to do with scene one. The king is the one that first forgave. And even in scene three, the king says, don't you remember what I forgave you? Shouldn't you have forgiven your fellow servant? Had mercy on him like I had mercy on you, like I forgave you? So here's what I wanna suggest that we do. Ultimately, how do we deal with the, the sins we've committed and the sins that have been committed against us? How do we deal with that as we walk down this road of forgiveness? Like I said, we will never forget these. And anybody that tells you to forgive and forget, they've not experienced what you've experienced. So I'm not gonna tell you forgive and forget. I'm gonna tell you to forgive and never forget the cross. 
Here's why. When you notice not just what's been done to you, but what's been done for you by Jesus, by the King, forgiveness makes a little bit more sense. Forgiveness makes zero sense without the cross. It makes no sense for us to forgive somebody for something they've done to us. It makes no cultural sense. Forgiveness only makes sense with the cross. Jesus forgave us a tremendous debt. What do we do with that? We forgive others, not because they've asked for it, not because they deserve it, most definitely not because it's, it's condoning what they did. It doesn't fix what they did. What it does do is it gives us a future of life. What it does do is it releases us from the burden and the weight that refusing to forgive causes us to care, constantly carry around. So here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'm going to do this when I get home. Um, don't use permanent marker, but get you a, a chalk marker, get you a dry erase marker, and on your mirror at home in your bathroom or somewhere, I want you to just draw a cross. And here's what that's going to help us do. Every time you look in that mirror, most of us, that's at least once a day in the morning when we're getting ready to go into our life, we know that people are going to say things against us, people are going to hurt us, people have. And typically when you look in the mirror, you, you see yourself and what people have done and, and the difficulties of our past. And no, forgiveness doesn't change our past. But when we remember the cross, when we focus on the cross more than all the other junk, forgiveness makes a little bit more sense. So this week, if you would join me in doing something a little weird, that if somebody came over to your house, they're like, why do you have a dry erase cross on your mirror? Well, I have to remember the cross every day or else I know I'm not going to make it. I've got to remember the cross every day or I'm going to continue to be haunted by the things that people have done to me. Forgive and never forget the cross. One more verse out of Colossians for you. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, You were dead because of your sins, and because, of your sinful, because your sinful nature has not yet been cut away, you were dead. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Forgive and never forget the cross. When we remember the forgiveness that we've been given, we can resolve to forgive. We can resolve to forgive before it's ever actually needed or asked for. We can resolve to forgive regardless of the offense. And that doesn't undermine the weight of the wrong done to you at all. What it does do is it releases the life of a torture that you walk through. Forgive and never forget the cross. To do that together, we're going to take communion as a church. And right there in the cup holders next to you, there's a little cup that has a cracker and a little bit of grape juice. And the reason we take communion is for this, to remember the cross, so that we would never forget it. And we would remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us so that our sins, just like Colossians said, could be canceled by nailing them to the cross. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, Sean and the team, they're going to lead us through one more worship song. And at your own time, remember Jesus. And it may be a difficult conversation you and Jesus need to have of forgiving others. But remember what we read? We forgive others because Jesus forgave us. Forgive as the Lord forgave us. So after I'm done praying, all you do is you take the first wrapper, peel it back, it'll, rep, it'll open up the cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus. 
go back to the second wrapper and that'll expose the juice representing and symbolizing Jesus' blood poured out for us. May we forgive because he forgave us. And may we forgive and know we won't forget what's been done to us, but may we never forget the cross for what's been done for us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done. And in a world that we continually walk around with the marks and scars, wounds, open wounds of what people have done to us, it is it doesn't make sense for us to forgive them. But Jesus, what you did on the cross makes no sense either. That you would give yourself up for me and for the entire world. May that be what helps us make sense of forgiving others. In this moment, we thank you for the sacrifice you made on the cross. Help us to forgive the way that you forgave us. In Jesus' name, amen. In your own time, Let's take communion together.